Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Gordon Brown hints at future tax breaks for savers, but what can you do in the next three weeks? How safe is your money when it's not in a bank? And we answer a listener's question about saving for his 13 grandchildren. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge, hello, Lucy Warwick-Ching, and our special studio guest, Foster Bowman, Managing Director of iDealing.com. Hello to you all, and let's start then with the money news. Earlier this week, in another current affairs programme not dissimilar to the FT Money Show, Prime Minister Gordon Brown hinted at future tax breaks to help savers suffering in the low interest rate environment. And they need as much help as they can get. Figures released by the Bank of England on Monday showed that the average instant access account is paying just 0.17%. Tax-free cash ISAs aren't much better now that the average rate has fallen from 5% a year ago to 0.96% now. But are ISAs really the most tax-efficient way to save? And do you actually need to wait for the budget to start making your plans? Um, Steve, are there any things that savers could be doing in these last three weeks of this tax year? Well, Matthew, even though, as you rightly pointed out, cash ISA rates are low, many experts out there say take advantage of the tax reliefs that you can afford to. So let's start with cash ISAs. Yes, uh, rates are desperately low, but they may go up again in the future. Um, uh, on stocks and shares side, um, you can actually hold, if you're worried about stock markets, you can actually put cash into the, the wrapper and hold y- your, um, your cash there until you feel more comfortable about markets. So that's ISAs, but, but what about pensions? I mean, they are very tax efficient at the moment, offering um, tax relief on the money that you invest at your highest rate of tax, which could be 40% if you're higher rate taxpayer. Um, there could be changes in the budget, we don't know. Um, but for this tax year, are there opportunities with pensions? Well, very tax efficient. You're absolutely right for higher rate taxpayers. You, you can get tax relief at that full 40%, that top rate that you're paying. And there are some people out there who will pay everything they earn over the high rate threshold into their pension effectively. So they, so that, so they don't pay 40% tax at all. Um, you know, many advisors say this is a, a, a 
considered a particularly attractive uh, thing for people who can afford to put the money away. I mean, that's the big catch with pensions. Everyone talks about pensions and ISAs, which is better. Um, key point about pensions, yes, great tax reliefs, particularly for higher-end taxpayers, but your money's tied up to retirement. ISAs, you're not locking the money up over and above the underlying investment. And uh, there are other sort of tax planning opportunities with uh, pensions, in particular self-invested personal pensions or SIPs. I know that you're a fan of um, something called bed and sipping, which sounds like drinking Ovaltine, but uh, but isn't, is it? How does that work? Well, bed and sipping and it's near cousin, bed and icering, great if you're cash strapped, you haven't got a lot of cash or you don't want to put cash away into any of these things. You know, you're too busy worrying about how you're going to pay next, next week's food bill uh, when you lose your job. So cash in... Uh, Bed and ices and bed and sips, bit of a mouthful, involve effectively transferring existing investments into your ice or and sip, respectively, um, typically by just selling them outside and then buying them back inside. Um, so all subsequent returns are then ring-fenced from tax. You've, you've used up your allowance in the case of ISAs. In the case of pensions, you've got some pension tax relief, including that extra high-rate tax relief back. Um, and, and in each case, you've boosted your, your tax-sheltered pots. So it's all about getting these assets uh, that are outside a pension or an ISA into the wrapper, and presumably that can be done in the next three weeks to take advantage of the allowances that you have for the 2008 to 2009 tax year. Absolutely. I mean, to, to, you're absolutely right to point out you've got to do it before April the 5th if you want to use up pension tax relief this year to, to remember, reduce this year's tax bill. Um, a number of advisors and firms out there have special transactional arrangements sometimes it can be done almost seamlessly but it, but the principle is the same that effectively you're selling outside you're buying back inside and of course it's you know in, it's spring almost spring um, many people see this as just very good good investment housekeeping now we've got a strange uh, situation this year in that the budget is very late the budget won't take place until the 22nd of april um after the end of the tax year but let's just go back to um what gordon brown appeared to be saying this week that he's going to um, change the rules to ISAs potentially to benefit those who are struggling to earn an income on their cash savings. Uh, what do you think might happen? I know it's difficult to speculate. Indeed. Um, but, I mean, I think most people are saying that the ISA allowance, the, the most likely um, change will be an increased ISA allowance, maybe £10,000 a year. Um, it's impossible to say whether it might be in any sense retrospective or in you know any change might be retrospective or, or, or it might just be going forward, i.e. if you've taken out an ISA before April 22nd from April 6th, you might not be allowed to up your, your allowance. Um, my own um, inkling in all this is that actually they might try and restrict it just to, say, pensioners, people who have been complaining and, and, and suffering a lot from uh, reduced savings rates, um, who might otherwise, otherwise not spend the money. Of course, for thee and me, they want us to just spend, spend, spend. The last thing they want to do is just bung out another tax break that we'll take advantage of and actually won't go. Uh, we'll actually reduce our spending on our shopping.
So no benefit for us, at least not for a few more years. Anyway, um, thanks very much, Steve. And uh, if you'd like to know more about uh, end-of-tax-year pension planning opportunities uh, and also uh, ISA recommendations uh, for the current tax year, just pick up a copy of FT Money inside this weekend's FT or go online to ft.com forward slash money. Remember that you can also send in your questions to be answered by our experts by emailing us at our new address, money at ft.com. Now a subject that continues to concern investors everywhere, including senior figures at the FT, uh, Steve being one of them, how safe is your money? Now, Steve, we've looked at a number of concerns over banks in recent months. But what about all the other firms that we deal with on an almost daily basis? Well, indeed, Matthew, um, with banks, people have been very worried, obviously. um, And overwhelmingly, they've been bailed out when banks have gone bust above the £50,000 industry safety net. Um, But people, a lot of investors also have cash, as well as all their other share and bond and fund holdings, with a variety of investment firms. So what is the cover there? I don't think people really know the... They certainly aren't as aware of the safety net limits as they are with banks. Foster, um, can you tell us why is our money safe with investment firms? I think at, um, at Idealing, who, who is a, uh, a stockbroker, the most common question that we get from clients with regard to their safety is what happens if Idealing were to go bust? And a common misconception is that if your broker goes bust, you've lost the money or the stock that you held with them, which isn't the case. Now, if your bank goes bust, by definition, the bank doesn't have enough money to give you back all of your deposit. And you have to either claim it back or hope that the government will bail you out or that the bank gets bought. If your stockbroker in the UK goes bust, in most cases, you will not have lost any money or stock or assets, and you won't have to make any claim at all. And this is because the UK stockbroker, uh, in almost all scenarios, will have kept all of your stock and cash in a separate ring-fenced account and with a bank on trust. So if it's such a safe system of ring-fencing assets that you can't dip into for the Christmas fund, uh, Foster, um, why do we have something called the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, which I think technically, if you if you were to go bust or another investment firm, an investor would be covered up to £48,000 with you, wouldn't they, for all assets, including cash? That's right. So the reason why it exists for firms is there may be some scenarios where you have a claim on your broker. Um, if the broker goes bust and if you have a claim against that broker, in other words, you think that they owe you money or a court has said, yes, that broker owes you money, if they don't have the money to give it to you, to give to you, then you've got to apply to the financial services compensation scheme for it. So, for example, maybe your broker is an advisory broker, and maybe they told you to buy something that was inappropriate for you, and and you have a judgment that says uh, they should give you your money back that you invested, or um, maybe they have neglected to account for your money properly, and they have lost it or, and it's gone missing and they aren't able to give you uh, the cash that's supposed to be ring-fenced. In those cases, you have a legitimate, determined claim against your broker, and the financial services scheme steps in. So the the key point is it should be safe, but there are 
potential mishaps here. And, and do, correct if I'm wrong, do a lot of firms not also have extra insurance as well, which should cover you above this £48,000 limit, which frankly, to, to many listeners, might seem quite a small, uh, a thin safety net for, given the size of their portfolios. That's right. Some firms uh, will allow you or introduce you to um, an entity that will give you insurance on your assets or your or your cash. Typically, this is going to be underwritten by uh, an insurance firm or another investment firm, um, and obviously the payout on that risk is um, dependent upon that firm being solvent if and when uh, a disaster strikes. Um, so it is available, and it's typically for people that might want to carry a lot more in the form of cash or stock than the 50000 limit that, or the 48000 limit, as the case may be, that, uh, that's receivable from the financial services compensation scheme. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that would be of interest to listeners. And what about other areas of weakness? I mean, um, spread betting firms, for example. I mean, they, the high rollers who both use spread betting firms, and frankly, they seem to be fairly risky firms themselves. How safe is your money there? Well, it depends. The most common claim that you might have against a spread betting firm, um, such as iDealing, is if, you, if you've made a bet with iDealing, for example, and, and that bet is profitable and you haven't closed it out yet, but if you were to do so, they, w- they would be sending you, let's say, £10,000. If iDealing were to go bust, in that case, that, that money that's owed to you, that profit on your bet is not ring-fenced and, and is not separate. It's, uh, it's, it's part of uh, it's a general credit to you, and you've got to claim it just like you would uh, from any business that went bankrupt. So with spread betting and CFD firms, typically when you, send, when you give them money for deposit or if you have a profitable bet, that money is at risk in the event of their insolvency. Is, is your money ever safe then with spread betting firms is the question? A lot of firms, um, I would even say most firms, will, will end up uh, ring-fencing your money anyway. They just don't have a legal requirement to do so in the way that an execution-only stockbroker in the U.K. does. And they're going to exercise prudence uh, in any event. They want to be solvent. They want to continue operating, uh, especially if they're seeking to make a profit. So, uh, you know, your, your faith in the spread betting or CFD firm should be assessed in the same way that you – that you assess uh, the suitability of your bank. Aren't these firms, though, exactly the firms that are asking you for margin, though? They're asking you for cash, aren't they? Is that money treated any differently? Yes, it can be. So when, when a firm um, asks you for margin for a spread bet, it's a safety deposit in the event that your bet goes wrong and that you lose money and that you don't have enough to pay them. So they're allowed to take that money initially, and they, will, they do not have to treat it um, in the same way that... Uh, that a stockbroker has to treat it, what's called client money. Um, in that case, they can use it to um, to apply towards hedge or mitigating their risk themselves. But um, that money is typically, not always, but typically at risk in the same way that a bank deposit is at risk. Well, thanks, Foster. I mean, I haven't heard such a, a, a good explanation of how my money may be at risk or indeed uh, or indeed how safe it is. And, and I think it's a sad indictment of the authorities that they aren't making it clearer to um, investors generally exactly in what situations your money is safe and what situations your money isn't safe. Matthew? Uh, yes, if only the financial services compensation scheme could be as clear uh, about uh, the way your money is covered. Um, And if you'd like to know more about uh, 
issues of financial security. You can find all of our articles about uh, uh, the compensation schemes at ft.com forward slash money. And for more on spread betting accounts in particular, look out for the FT Spread Betting Special Report, which is out with the newspaper on Friday the 13th of March. And finally today, uh, your questions answered. Uh, So, uh, Lucy, what's been the big question this week? Michael Bushell, an FT reader, contacted us about how to invest money for his 13 grandchildren. This is his question. I am 73 and would like to make a small provision for my 13 grandchildren. All but the eldest three qualify for the government's child trust fund scheme, and for simplicity's sake, I will merely add a small sum month by month to each of these. For the eldest three, however, now nine eight and seven years, I had thought of using some sort of investment trust or fund. I could afford to kick it off with about £1,500 to £2,000 and contribute about £500 per year to each. However, all my savvier financial friends tell me it's not worth doing anything like this because most of any gains would go on fees, commission and the like. What would your advice be for a simple tax-efficient maximising pot? I asked Malcolm Cuthbert, Managing Director of Financial Planning at Killick & Co., to answer Michael's question. Malcolm, what is the most tax-efficient way of investing for children? Is it child trust funds? Yes, it is. It's, it's the most tax-efficient way. That child trust funds are built up like um, ICEs are, so there's no capital gains tax within a child trust fund and there's no income tax either. So they're extremely tax-efficient, um, but they are limited in the amount you can put into them. Uh, and as, as M- in Michael's case, he's got three grandchildren who don't qualify at all. So he, he does need to look at other options, I think, uh, for those children. And so what are the other options? Probably the most simplest thing is to do a, a simple bare trust, which he can set up in the name of the child. Um, and in that case, I mean, it, it's not too different. It's actually quite good for him because if it was a parent gifting monies into a bare trust for a child, then they could potentially be liable for income tax if the income exceeds £100 per annum. But because he's the grandfather of these children, that doesn't affect him. So there will be no income tax liability for him. And the capital gains tax liability is on the, on the child. So they've got their normal capital gains tax allowance of 9600 So it, it's a pretty, pretty efficient way to do it, I think, for the three children he's got over who don't have the child trust funds. There are a couple other things I'd mention as well. I think it's worth looking at um, pensions, which, which are my favourite subject, mm-hmm. which are also very tax efficient because you get tax relief going on in when you put money into the plan. Um, and also something like national savings and insurance um, and investment, national savings and investments, where you can put in up to £3,000 in children bonds as well, and they are tax-free. And so how could a pension contribution from Michael for his grandchildren actually work? Michael could make contributions. I mean, I think he was after putting in perhaps £500 per year. But he can make a contribution for all his grandchildren, if he wants, uh, of as little as £25 per annum. Um, And he gets gets tax relief on it. So, um, in other words, if you put in £80 per annum, the government puts in £20 to make it £100 in that very simple example. And that's in the name of the child. So for his 13 grandchildren, however many he has, he could put a small contribution in and the compound effect of that and the, and the tax relief over 55, 50, 55 years is huge. So it's, it's worth considering as well, perhaps with some of the money, 
Michael wants to, to gift to his grandchildren. But I guess with something like a pension contribution, that's a very long time for them to wait for that money. It is, but um, it's so very tax efficient. I've actually done it for my 11 nephews and nieces. Uh, I gave them all £100 each, uh, which cost me £80 each with the tax relief. And it will now just be invested in these funds, and hopefully by the time they get to 55, you know, it'll be worth something. And at the very least, they will think of me when they take their pension when I'm dead and gone. And is there anything else that they can do? Um, I think ICEs are, are worth considering. At the moment, you can't take out an ICE until you get to 16 uh, for a cash ICE and 18 for a stocks and shares ICE. But, you know, if you think about these child trust funds, as they mature at 18, it might be a good idea for people to move the monies across from the child trust fund into an ICE, which, again, as I said, has got is tax-free, effectively. Thanks very much, uh, Lucy, and that was uh, Malcolm Cuthbert from Killick Co. And remember, if you've got a question, uh, do send it in to us and we will try to answer it on the show. Just email us at our new address, money at ft.com. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But in the meantime, you can read the latest news every weekday on our website, ft.com forward slash money, and listen to our audio podcast updates throughout the week. But until then, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Steve, Lucy, and our special guest, Foster Bowman from idealing.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.